Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. We have a reoccurring guest, a member of the uh, the Forge First Asset Management team. In fact, the CEO, CIO, Andrew McCreeth is joining us today. Andrew, we've had you on the show many times. Last time we brought you on here was in the fall of last year, uh, kind of giving us a Q4 review. And, uh, you know, with, with what's happening in the markets, with what's happening in the, uh, in the geopolitical scene, let's start off with what's going on in... Uh, uh, year to date, from January till till the end of the first quarter, what have you seen happen? And then let's kind of take it to the next step is, what are some of the ongoing concerns? Okay, well, welcome to, it's great to be here, Faisal. Uh, thanks for having me on your show once again. Uh, I think to answer your question, I'd like to start my response by taking listeners back to our last conversation, when at that time, uh, during 2021, I expressed the opinion that policy accommodation, uh, be it fiscal stimulus, or more importantly, the printing of money by central banks, had peaked last Labor Day, and such that we were going to see rising interest rates and a reduction in the liquidity that central banks provide into the marketplace And as a result of that reduction of stimulus, specifically on the monetary policy side, uh, it was going to become increasingly difficult for the pricing of all financial assets, be it bonds, stocks, or ultimately real estate, were going to become increasingly challenged. The rate at which they become challenged was going to be a function of a couple of variables, specifically how bad was inflation going to get? Uh, was it going to force the central banks to hike interest rates faster and more aggressively? Clearly, uh, the, the quicker they redu- reduce the amount of liquidity in the system, in other words, the amount of money sloshing around, combined with how fast they increase interest rates, uh, is very germane to the argument about the outlook for financial assets. What has happened since our last conversation is, of course, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, led by Jerome Powell, has, you know, ripped up the word uh, transient when he talks about inflation. They now admit there's a big, big problem. And as a result, uh, they're, they're poised to increase interest rates at a far faster pace than anyone envisioned several months ago. That's not good for stocks. And that's been the driving force for I would say January into mid-February. When we got into late February, obviously we had that invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, And that variable has had uh, a multitude of impacts when it comes to the pricing of financial assets. Obviously, from the perspective of humanity, it's a, it was a travesty and remains a travesty. And I don't want to belittle the pain, the suffering um, that families in Canada and, you know, who have members in the Ukraine uh, are enduring. But we're here to talk about financial markets right now. And so when one looks at financial markets, uh, the war has had a couple of effects. You know, obviously, 
has had a materially positive impact on commodity prices, whether it's agriculture or energy. Um, and it also has significantly aggravated the ongoing supply chain problems, which of course uh, makes it challenging for food manufacturers uh, or industrial manufacturers who have been sourcing parts from regions of the world over there that they just can't actually get the parts for anymore. So as we look forward here, um, the, the pace of rate hikes and the forced reduction of the amount of liquidity floating around the system um, continues to be incredibly relevant to the outlook for financial markets, but it now has this second variable, the war, uh, which when you put the two together, in my opinion, Faisal, it makes it pretty tough for financial markets, specifically stocks, to have a positive outcome over the next 15, 18 months. And we have not been at a juncture like this for many years where investors have to have active advice and management. Buying an ETF is, is in my opinion, going to be uh, a ticket to lose money. Uh, and so active advice is of paramount importance at this juncture. Just want to confirm one thing, Andrew. Are you saying next 12 to 18 months negative performance on the major indexes? Let's call S&P 500 TSX. To use one word, yes. So when you're looking at your portfolio, now we've, we've been working together for years. You've got, a, you've got two mandates. One is more conservative than the other that we've, we've talked about in the past. When it comes, the beauty that you have is the ability to go long and short. Um, when you're looking at that kind of a mindset of potentially a negative performance in the basic indexes of S&P 500 TSX, how the heck do you make money or protect yourself during that time using the tools that you have in front of you? Well, it's a good question. And I, I guess I'd, I'd like to initiate my response by saying that I believe it's going to be a very difficult period of time for investors to make money by owning bonds or owning stocks. In other words, you and I would call it being long only, where you know you have $100 and you go out and buy $100 of bonds or $100 of stocks, and you're not short anything or you're not hedged in any way. And we'll talk about shorting and hedging. Um, the reason I believe that is because of the impact of those two variables that you know I mentioned to you in my long answer to your involved first question. A uh, simple fact of the matter is rising interest rates means the price of bonds go down. And then when one looks at stocks, uh, clearly rising interest rates negatively impact the valuation of a company's profits as it relates to its stock price in the marketplace. And you know what? It's always possible that we have a recession too. And that's not going to be good for stocks either. Why? Because if we have a recession, the profit forecasts for companies will be reduced. Uh, and, you know, falling earnings typically isn't correlated with rising stock prices. Okay, so how do we do it? Well, we're not long only. Um, what Forge First does is we go long and short publicly traded companies in North America um, we are focused on free cash flow. So we buy companies like 
Tourmaline and CNQ or Microsoft and Google, names like that. We've, we're buying hold investors. Uh, and these companies generate gobs and gobs of free cash flow. When one looks at the return of a security, um, it is, it's, it's constituted by the alpha plus the beta. In other words, when, when oil prices go up, um, the share price of CNQ, Canadian Natural Resources, is likely to go up. When oil prices go down, uh, the price of CNQ is likely to go down. That is what's called beta. The movement in the price of the security that's correlated to the movement in the market or the movement in the commodity price that drives that company. Whereas alpha is the movement in the share price that is attributable to company specific factors, companies changing for the better, changing for worse. So our job is to identify companies that we think are going to generate gobs of free cash and we buy those or we go long those and then we short companies that we think either are going to have deteriorating fundamentals alpha or we may short some uh, lousy oil companies or tech stocks where we think that that will enable us to hedge out the market risk or the beta from what we own on the long side. Our funds, which limit our small cap stock exposure um, to no more than 10%, and we've defined a small cap company as a billion dollars in market capitalization, so those are still pretty big companies. Uh, only 4% of our book is in small caps. We don't buy private companies at all. Um, and as I said, we're buy and hold investors. So we, we, we complement our book with a lot of what are referred to as listed put options to further hedge market risk. So we have quite a bit of protection on our books to complement what we own on the long side of our portfolio. So uh, a quarter to date, um, you know, last late last week, we ended the first quarter, our long short alternative fund was up about 5.1% net of all fees. Uh, you know, U.S. markets were down. The Canadian market was up about 3%. Our long short fund was up about 5.1% net. But arguably just as important, Faisal, the fund didn't do this. The fund just did this. Steady Eddie. Why? Because how we construct our solutions uh, for your clients is we hedge out the noise. We hedge out the market risk. We hedge out the beta and make money from our alpha selections. Um, we've been talking a lot on and off the air together, Andrew, about this, uh, the R word that's coming out um, is the word recession. And let me paint the picture for you, Andrew. Throughout all of this week, we've been hearing the flattening of the yield curve, an inverted yield curve. And generally speaking, what we hear about is when the two-year U.S. government treasury is higher interest than the 10-year. That's an inverted yield curve is what we've been hearing about. Uh, media has been splashing it. Social media has been talking about this R word. We're going to a recession. That's it. It's over. When we look at this, what are your thoughts first with that? Are we headed towards a recession? And, and what are your thoughts about this whole inverted yield curve uh, thesis that's out there? Great question, Faisal. And uh, I would start by saying that history rhymes, but it doesn't repeat. What do I mean? Well, in the past, an inverted yield curve has been a very good predictor of a recession. 
However, this go around, um, the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, and even here at the Bank of Canada, our central bank, has delivered a significant degree of intervention uh, in the bond market so as to cause the yield offered by bonds, hence the price of bonds, to not be running by nature by itself. They've effectively been fixing the pricing. So it's difficult to extrapolate history into what's going to happen today by itself that an inverted yield curve means that we are going to have a recession. Sorry, Andrew, let me just jump in there. Um, are we saying that because there's so much interference um, or, or usage by central banks that we cannot really identify this inverted yield curve equals recession like we have in the past when the central banks haven't been as involved in, uh, in buying the bonds and, and somewhat manipulating the prices? A hundred percent. It's not black and white that we will have a recession uh, because uh, the, that indicator, the inverted yield curve, has in the past indicated that we are going to have a recession. The intervention by central banks has muddied the water, shall we say. Um, something else that's very different from past recessions is you know, look at the look at the employment market in the United States. You know, Friday morning we had U.S. jobs data, and you know, not only was the wage data good, not only were the number of new jobs added good, especially when you look at the revisions of previous months. Um, the unemployment rate fell um, to a very very low level, three point five percent. And so the job market is very strong. We historically have not had such strong job markets moving into a recession. Why? Well, because think about it. The consumer is about 69% of the U.S. economy. And if the, cons if the jobs market is really tight, then people have jobs, they have money to spend, and we're not going to go into a recession. At the same point in time, um, when one looks at the industrial side of the U.S. economy, also Friday morning, you had ISM manufacturing. The data was lousy. Why is why was the data lousy? Well, there's a few reasons. First off, um, on the manufacturing side, um, consumers in North America have been spending money for the last two years on durable goods. You know, there's only so many TVs and cars and stuff like that that you can buy. I'd say the durable goods market is beginning to run out of steam. Secondly, supply chain. Um, you know, we had we continued to have supply chain problems three months ago. Uh, I know that in the monthly commentaries that I write once a month and are posted on our website, forgefirst.com, that I opined a couple of months ago that the supply chain problems are going to take us right into 23. They're not getting solved during 22. I, I still stick with that, but now I'll sort of, shall we say, I stick with it cubed, if you will, because of the war. Um, you know, the war is aggravating supply chains. Um, the third item has to do with commodity prices. Um, obviously, commodity prices are high and they're going to stay high. Um, but it's only in the 1970s did we last see rising commodity prices that were driven by the supply side versus the demand side. What I mean is that 
Prices are not high because demand is so high. Prices are high because there's no supply. And, you know, we're reading more and more about how, you know what, President Biden wants oil companies to drill more oil in the United States. But the simple fact of the matter is the oil companies don't have the workers. Or if you want to frack a well, there's not the sand availability. Why? Because the sand companies went bankrupt over the last couple of years. So um, monetary policy, changing interest rates or printing more money can change the demand side of economy, but it can't help the supply side of the economy. So if I put those three variables together, as we move forward here, there is definitely a risk that we move into a recession. Why? Because the consumer is running out of gas, shall we say, uh, no pun intended. Uh, you know, the savings rate is back to pre-COVID levels. Of course, inflation is far higher than wage increases. And so in the back half of this year, while they've got a job and so they can pay their mortgage, they're running out of juice. And given that they're the big driver of the U.S. economy, um, if they run out of juice, we could fall into a recession. And then it was, you know, being a little more brief with this second variable, uh, re recession, the industrial side is definitely weakening. And here at Forge First, our analysis causes us to believe we're going to continue to see a fairly rapid reduction, um, on the industrial side of the economy, which again could, shall we say, increase the risk of a recession. But you could argue, Faisal, that a recession is the best thing for financial markets because the Fed may pivot and stop raising interest rates. If you were to give a probability that we are heading into a recession over the next 12 months, I've seen some reports out there calling it between 25 and 33% probability of it happening. Where do you sit on, on, on the probability of a recession in the next 12 months? 40%. 40%. And so given that, that you see a 40% probability of a recession, what, what are the areas of opportunity in the, let's talk about the stock market right now. Where do you see the areas of opportunity with that? And where do you see the, uh, the biggest hits? You talked about industrial uh, and, and industrial goods. That would probably be a decline or a, a, re, a reduction in earnings per share on that area. But are there, are there places that you say this is, no matter what, these places are going to look good overall? Um, good question. We believe there is a little more upside in resource stocks, but we are now late enough in that trade where you can't buy them and go away for a few months. Um, because of course, if we are moving into a recession, notwithstanding my supply versus demand driven argument for pricing, um, especially if you, if you throw in excuse me, a resolution uh, of, of the war, commodity stocks could get smoked. But for now, we believe there's a little more juice in the trade, if you will. Uh, secondly, we believe that high quality growth stocks, we're talking the Microsofts and Googles of this world, remain attractive because they are not egregiously valued um, and they are arguably recession resistant. Uh, and consequently, we continue to own those stocks. However, I would add uh, that given our outlook for markets, we continue to use put options to protect those positions because for us, our job is to deliver a competitive net return 
and to try and protect capital when markets get rougher. And this is why we get along so well, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, this is why we get along so well is because we, we look at profit and protect. We've got about 20 seconds left before we have to get going. Give us your final thought. So the final thought is the following. If I say there's a 40% chance of a recession, I'd say there's also a 40% chance of inflation getting out of control, meaning that the central bank would be really behind the curve and they would have to accelerate the rate of reduction of liquidity and even and increase interest rates even faster. And that is the nastiest scenario of all. And long-only investors in bonds or stocks would be vulnerable to a very, very nasty outcome. And that's why I said, Faisal, that perhaps the recession is the best realistic scenario for investors. Well, there you go. We've been joined by Andrew McCreeth, CEO, CIO, Forge First Asset Management. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Been a pleasure, Faisal. Thank you. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.